Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. I'm excited you're from Scarborough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, born and raised in Scarborough. Actually, no, born in North York, but raised in Scarborough. Raised? Are you still there? Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where? Like, what high school did you go to? I went to Birchmount Park. Um, okay. So that's down on the Danforth and uh, Birchmount. Yeah. And uh, they specialize in um, taking in athletic kids. That's, so that's where the stadium is too, isn't it? Yeah, Birchmount Stadium. Yeah. Um, Bare naked ladies sang about that when they say Birchmount Stadium, home of the Robbie. Um, what in, song is that? That's in uh, one week. Oh, no so way. So right at the end of the song, they reference my high school, which is Birchmount. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. <laughs> that is, I had Jim Cregan. Okay, yeah. Uh, the bass player for the Brand Ladies in here. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's amazing. And, <laughs> and, you're, and you're still in the area? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually a um, supply teacher with the TDSB right now. And okay. I actually do a lot of my work at RH King, which is like two blocks north of Birchmount. Academy, right? Yeah. 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 One of the only, I think, public schools who has a, uh, a dress code, like a, an actual uniform that the kids have to wear. So um, I, I hope it takes one less step out of their morning routine, but there's still some kids that, you know, get dolled up and everything. Personalize and like, yeah. it. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Um, my son has baseball winter training uh-huh. at Variety Village. Okay. Yeah. Which is not too far. It's right across the parking lot from Birchmount. Yeah. 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 And uh, I remember after one of these snowstorms driving to there, and there's a hill in the back. Yeah. Like a massive hill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I said, oh, man, and it's, 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 it's a bit of a drive from home yeah. to there, but uh, that's a fantastic hill for anybody who's listening and is looking for a hill in Scarborough. Oh, there's, yeah, there's um, right behind Birchmount, just south of it towards the lake, um, there's a, a gardens that's just south of Birchmount Park Collegiate. And if you just go a little bit east of there, there's a hill that uh, we did a lot of workouts on when I was in the um, athletic program at Birchmount, and we call it Construction Hill. Um, I don't know why it's called Construction Hill, but it goes all the way down to the lake. So basically the whole span of the vertical ascent of the bluffs. And wow. um, it's about a 45-degree angle um, that you massive. can go up and down. And, yeah, we used to run it. We used to sprint it. We used to go up and down backwards, uh, towing weights, towing another person. Um, and if you like hill running or stair running, um, which I do, um, We're okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, uh, then you can do that. And it's, it's a good, like, I want to say about a hundred meter long oh, wow. hill that you can, um, do a really, really good incline yeah. on. Yeah. You must have a healthy heart. I try to have a healthy <laughs> heart. Yeah. <laughs> what, what were you, what were you playing at Birchmount? Archery. I was actually okay. The, so yeah. since then, yeah. So um, I started archery. I started shooting when I was um, about in grade eight. So that's about thirteen or fourteen years old. Yeah. And um, I was the first person to get accepted to Birchmount for the sport of archery because you get a lot of hockey players and a lot of sure. football players and everything. But yeah, um, I was I was kind of a special case. I think they were a little hesitant to take me um, at first because they're like, "What an archer? What's he going to do?" Type thing, right? Um, but I I stuck it out. Like I tried to. Um, I tried to be the best that I could be when I was in the school, and um, a lot of the times my goals during the class was just to beat the teacher at whatever exercise we were doing. Like mm-hmm. if he did, I don't know, 10 reps in a bench press, I wanted to do 11, yeah. and I wanted to do it the same weight that he did and everything. And um, uh, his name is Rob Packus, and uh, I mean, he was, he was a really, really big um, part of my growing up and becoming the athlete who I am today. Yeah. And even after I graduated from Birchmount, he, he's always telling me just, you know, come back and let's do some workouts together and everything. And okay. so whenever I had some free days. You pushed days, him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he pushed me. I mean, like there's a, a 
lot of times where we had to keep a bucket beside wherever we were working out because really? it was uh, it was that hard. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was tough. And, you know, it's one of those things where you hate when you're doing it, but then afterwards you just feel so good about it. And, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of my – I am not an athlete <laughs> by, by any sense of the definition of that word. Oh. Uh, but, I, but I remember, you know, workouts where somebody pushed you. Yep. Um, yeah. And were hard and were painful. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, you, you, there was just that feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it felt um, like you could do rush. anything, basically. Yeah. yeah. And it actually has um, we, we've done some studies on it and everything. And there have been lots of studies done that it actually um, promotes uh, better mental health um, because. Really? Yeah. And it's also something that my sports psychologist and I worked on. And it's it's something where if you push yourself physically, it gives you the mental attitude that you get more confident in yourself. So, uh, like right I now, I can see that. Yeah, right. Right now, like our our, uh, our record date right now is January tenth. So there's a lot of people going to the gym right now because they're absolutely they're right New after Year's work. Resolutions. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so a lot of the people when they go to the gym, they actually you might even see a little bit of a mental turnaround on on those people. You might see them being a little bit more confident, a little bit more outgoing, and everything. Yeah. Um, just because of uh, what physical exercise can do to the not only the body but to the mind that's really really interesting i take me back so you you're going to high school at birch yep. mountain scarborough yeah um grade nine you're probably what nine five about 14 13 14 years yep. old about that yeah. um how old were you when when you told your parents that's what i want to do that's what i want to <laughs> become <laughs> um i think that was actually a, a couple weeks after i started shooting the olympic style bow because um, I had started archery on a hunting style type bow, which is really easy to get. Like you can go to Bass Pro Shop or Canadian Tire or anything yeah. and get a hunting type bow. But then when I learned that um, that wasn't allowed in the Olympics, it wasn't that type of bow that you needed to have. I told myself that I wanted to do this a proper. Yeah, I wanted to go to the Olympics for this. Yeah. And um, so at that time, my parents heard that I wasn't uh, I wasn't shooting the right bow. Okay. And I told them that I would like to eventually try to do this one day. Yeah. Um, so then they dropped some money and they got me the Olympic style bow and um, I was at a tournament where I shot the hunting bow during the tournament because that was the main bow that I was shooting but then after the tournament when everybody was packing up and getting ready to leave I took down my hunting bow and I set up my Olympic style bow and I just started shooting that shooting that um, just at a short range just to get the feel of it because it's it's a a pretty different style okay and um, this random woman came up to me behind me and started looking at me and I was a little a little scared because I was just like I don't know who this woman is or what what she's doing or anything and um, she called over one of her friends and she whispered in their ear and you could see her pointing at me and everything Mm -hmm. um, clearly saying like look at this look at this or whatever on him and um, after I had finished um, a few a few ends of shooting she came up to me and said uh, who's your coach and I said I don't have a coach and she said I would like to coach you oh wow I said Okay, that I mean, like I don't, I don't have a coach, so any help is good help. Yeah. And she said, "Okay, so here's my card, and um, yeah, I'd like to start coaching you." And so I looked at her card, and it said Joan McDonald, 1996 and 2000 Olympic coach. And I said, "Hell yeah, I want you to sure." Yeah. (laughs) That word Olympic is yeah, you're Olympic coach. So she said it'll have to be in a few weeks though, because in uh, a week or two we leave for the Sydney Olympics. And I mm. was like, oh, okay. So, like, you're actually going. That's pretty yeah. cool. So um, I was I was pretty pumped and everything. I, you know, a 13-year-old who just met somebody who's in the Olympic-type style class. Yeah. Um, I was, like, really motivated to get out and start shooting more and everything. And then I um, uh, made sure to watch the Olympic opening ceremonies with my parents. And um, that moment when I saw 
Team Canada walking in with the uh, the, the parade of athletes. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of like when I made that absolute decision that I was like, I want to be that one day. I want to be wearing the maple leaf on my back. I want to go in that parade. I want to walk in with those people. That's and amazing. So, yeah, that was that was pretty much the time right there. That was um, like the start of the 2000 Olympics. But why, why archery, though? I mean, that seems a lot of people will listen to this and go, oh, yeah, Scarborough. You know, there's some weird kids out there. <laughs> but honest, but why? Why archery? Like, what was it about that that appealed to you? Um, well, I tried team sports before when okay. I was a kid and everything. Because yeah. when I was going from grade one to grade eight, I joined every single team that You're I possibly could. Soccer and all that stuff, Baseball, right? Baseball, soccer, swimming, yeah, basketball, yeah. volleyball, swimming, everything yeah. that I possibly could. And I realized early on that I was more of an individual sport type person. Okay. I, I didn't like having to rely on other people yeah. to to be successful. Um, I was more of a, I, like, as sad as it is to say that mm -hmm. um, my report cards up until about grade three or four always said that I didn't play well with others. Oh, no. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was an indication right from the get-go. But okay. um, I don't know. Archery always fascinated me when I was younger. Um, there was just something about it that was really interesting. Like, I liked watching the Robin Hood movies and okay. any any movie that had archery in it. Um, I had already started archery before the Lord of the Rings stuff started coming out, so I already knew that that was old news. Yeah. But, um, yeah, back Back then, I was just really interested in how the movies portrayed archery, and I just wanted to give it a try. Um, Interesting. And I also wanted to try shooting guns. Uh, I, that has nothing to do with the fact that I live in Scarborough. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wanted I wanted to try shooting guns. Yeah. And um, as supportive as my mom was about it, mm -hmm. uh, she said that she didn't want her 13-year-old owning guns in the house. Um so I can see that as a yeah. parent, I can see that <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was a, a little safety concern that she had. But yeah. I mean, when I said archery, she was uh, really much into it. And my dad was very supportive about that, too. So he was he was always there to drive me out to archery practice and everything when I was younger. And uh, after he got bored of just sitting around and waiting for me to finish up practice, um, he started learning it, too. And oh, wow. Yeah. So he he's now a, a level two coach at our uh, club. Wow. And he's that's one of the higher levels that you can get for a, a coaching status for for coaching archery at the club level. Now when you when you talk about you went from a hunting bow to yeah. an Olympic bow when I was reading up there was something called recurve archery. Is that what mm -hmm. you're referring to? That's the actual type yeah. of that's that's bow? correct. The the Olympic style bow is a recurve style bow. What does that mean? Um it's basically what you would imagine a more high-tech version of what Robin Hood shot okay so what robin hood shot was a long bow which is just a stick that they bent and put a string on it yeah and um uh, a recurve bow is uh, it's where the limbs kind of curve away from the string near the limb tip okay so it's called a recurve because it curves and then it recurves on itself it curves twice okay so um the limbs bend towards the string and then yeah. at the ends of the limbs it curves away from the string and that creates a little bit more of an efficient bow okay um and the only difference between that and a hunting bow is the, or a compound bow i should say uh -huh. is that a compound bow is the ones that are a lot shorter and they have wheels on the ends and they we call those cams okay because uh what happens is that there's um there's two other pulley strings that are on this on the compound bow and as you pull the bow back uh on the main bowstring first it's hard at first and then it gets easy because the wheels actually assist the archer in taking the weight off of the bowstring and displacing mm. it to these cables um that are connecting the, the cams together yeah but on a recurve bow or an olympic style bow there's only one string so as you pull it back it gets harder and harder the further you pull it back which actually takes a little bit more um stamina to hold at full draw because 
um, if I were to pull my bow back, it's 50 pounds when I get back to my face. Really? But and you're holding it there. I'm, I'm holding 50 pounds on my fingers. Yeah. Um, that's that's how, how much force it would take for the string to go forward, right? And the, yeah. The actual mass weight of the bow is at about 8 pounds. Okay. Um, but the compound bow, if I were to shoot a 50-pound a compound, um, there would actually be something called let-off on the bow, which means that what percentage of that weight are you actually holding when you're at full draw? So when you start to pull on a string for the compound, mm -hmm. it's hard at first, and that's the 50 pounds. And then once the cams roll over and the weight gets displaced, now you're holding maybe 75%. Okay. Um, or, sorry, 25%, because you'd say 75% let off mm -hmm. on a bow. So if you can do the math and figure out what 25% of um, 50 pounds is, mm -hmm. that's only like, that's less than 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. You're the so, math teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it well, 12.5 if you really want to get technical. Yeah. But, um, so at full draw on a compound bow, you're only holding let's say 13 pounds yeah. for the sake of argument. Holding 13 pounds, you can do it for a lot longer. Sure. And you can stay at full draw for a lot longer mm -hmm. and take more time to aim. Whereas holding 50 pounds at full draw, you only have a limited amount of time that you can aim before your form starts to deteriorate. So um, that's the biggest difference between the compound and the recurve mm -hmm. um, and why um, the recurve one is the quote-unquote harder one to shoot sure. at full draw. It just... I, I don't want to say it's actually harder to shoot, but at full draw, it takes a little bit more strenuous uh, toll yeah. on your muscles. Um, but if you do shoot a compound at the world championship level, um, I could argue that, that shooting a compound is actually, you have to be more consistent when you shoot a compound because the guys who are doing it take full advantage of all the mechanical aid that you have on the compound. And those guys um, are like nailing bullseyes all the time. They're nailing wow. tens all the time. Whereas on a recurve, um, we're trying to accumulate tens, whereas the okay. compounds, they're trying not to miss the ten. Oh, interesting. So it's, it's a different mindset. It's a different way of thinking about and it. And are both types of archery in the Olympics? Um, in the Olympics, only the recurve is. Okay. But in the Paralympics, there's recurve and compound. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, and, and what's the difference? Because you, you, you talked a little bit about... Um, you know, team sports, mm -hmm. you didn't play well with yeah. others, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the early ages. So what's, when, when we talk about team archery, yeah. is that just an accumulation of points? Yeah, exactly. That's okay. it. There, so there's no way that I can um, physically help out a team member. Um, if we were to do a team round, um, it would be an instance where I would go up to the line, shoot one arrow. I have to come back off the line past a certain distance, so one meter line from the shooting line. Then the second archer would go up, shoot his arrow, come back. Third archer goes up, shoots their arrow, and come back. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of like a relay type thing where we get up, we shoot an arrow, we come back. Yeah. But um, if I shoot a 10, it doesn't necessarily affect the second archer. Sure. And that doesn't affect the third archer mm -hmm. because it's each individual archer's game when they get up onto the line. Yeah. And I can coach them through a shot or whatnot. I can say, like, okay, relax or sure. uh, give them keywords to think of. But mm -hmm. there's nothing that I can actually physically do to this person to make them shoot a better arrow. Um, whereas, like, if you have some good assists in hockey or whatnot and you set up some good plays or, or like, um, splitting their defense and, like, drawing their defense off to one side of the ice while yeah. you leave one man out on the other side, that's yeah. totally different. Totally different, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas ours is all, it's all accumulation. It's like what you said, accumulation of, of points, which is just individual people coming together to try to score really high. Um, you're, you're, so you're a teacher as well. Yeah. Um, math and physics. Yeah. 
your students must think you're really, really cool. Like one of the coolest <laughs> teachers. Um, my teacher's in the Olympics. <laughs> I, I've I've been told, but I I don't I don't try to let that get to my head or anything. No. But I try to I try to be the best teacher that I can be, and um, I mean. I, I try to use the, the Olympic thing to my advantage mm -hmm. sometimes because some of the kids um, will say, oh, my God, like, you were in the Olympics. How was that? And I'll, and I'll actually say, you know what, if you guys finish all your work for, that's assigned for today, I will answer any question that you guys have about the Olympics. Anything about training, about getting there, about what it's like being there, about yeah. like all the free swag that we get and stuff like that. <laughs> and the kid, they, they love it, and I love being able to do that uh, with the kids because I'm not just bribing them with information. I'm actually um, trying to use that to make sure that they are on track with the 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 stuff that they're supposed to yeah. do for the day. Um, and I mean, like if it gets them hooked just a little bit to listen to me a little bit more then mm -hmm. I mean, luckily I've got that advantage yeah. to be able to use it, but must be inspiring yeah. as well. I'm sure I've, I, yeah, I've, um, I've tried to give a lot of kids, uh, kind of the framework on to how to be a successful, um, person who's got like a double life type thing, because a sure. lot of people when they see, um, like I've got a math and physics degree and I'm an Olympian. Mm -hmm. um, they, when you think of an Olympian, you think of like some athletic, really, really athletic type jock person. Yeah. yeah. And then when you think of somebody who has a physics degree, you automatically snap to like Big Bang Theory, and these guys can't <laughs> even they can't they can't even throw balls properly, right? Yeah. So um, the the fact that I've gone to those two sides of the spectrum mm -hmm. um, can sometimes elicit some interest from some people, and it's it's fun to tell them exactly how I became the person who I am today, and um, to try to give them a little bit of insight and maybe some information on how they can do it with their own life, not necessarily with athletics and academics, but maybe music and academics or like whatever they want to do. I mean, it's it's totally possible to do all that. Cool, cool. I got one question, and then I want to go to some, uh, some uh, questions that uh, came through Facebook. Okay. Um, you also play guitar and mm -hmm. probably, I think, a bunch of other instruments. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you, you probably like... Uh, karaoke and stuff being being <laughs> i've got a filipino co-worker yeah and i go so do you do you know crispin she goes i don't know all the filipinos <laughs> but she was asking about karaoke yeah um, there's a yeah there's a lot of karaoke <laughs> that happens at filipino gatherings but tell me about and this is amazing i, I had an opportunity uh in, in my office i have a picture with uh commander chris hadfield yep uh and so, so you met him and i said well i i only just met him and that was it yeah shake his hand photo and you know yeah, yeah let the next person in line but you had a chance to play guitar with him yeah tell tell me about you know that experience how that happened and what exactly um so transpired. that happened by pure accident um i'd like to think it was accident but maybe the canadian olympic committee was behind this one but um before the Olympics, we have these events called the Olympic Excellence Series. Okay. And what they do is they take the athletes that um, are potential athletes for going to the to the next Olympics, and mm -hmm. they gather them together, and um, they hold events for, like, uh, inspirational speakers. Okay. Um, how to plan this, how to do this, all that type of stuff, like, um, in preparation for the Olympics. And Commander Chris Hatfield was one of the people that they brought in for a speaker. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time when we were filling out our forms to register for the event, we didn't know who the speakers were going to be. Okay. Um, there was talk of, like, maybe Hatfield, um, maybe Babcock from the Leafs and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and then one of the questions on the forms when we were doing registration was, do you play a musical instrument? And... 
I said, yes, I do. And I, I just checked off yes, because it was just in passing that I saw the question and it just kept on going with the registration form. And uh, a few weeks later, um, which would have been a, another couple weeks before the actual event, I got a call from um, one of the people at the COC. I believe it's uh, one of my one of my friends named Mariev Marlowe, who used to be a diver for um, okay. for Canada, and she now works with the COC. And she said, "Hey, Crispin, we saw that you filled out that you play musical instrument on your form." And I said, "Uh huh." Am I in trouble and they, now? <laughs> and they said, "Would you be comfortable playing in front of everybody?" <laughs> And I said, I don't know about that. And um, and then she said, oh, no, no. So this is what's going to be happening. We have uh, Commander Chris Hadfield coming in to play guitar, and we need um, a backup uh, musician. And I think you said you play guitar? And I said, yeah, I do. And, he, and she said, perfect. We need a backup guitar player so that Chris isn't alone on stage. Yeah. And I said, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and she said, can we pass your info on to him to make this happen i said yeah for sure give him everything that's amazing yeah so um then i i got a call from um actually one of i think one of chris hadfield's secretaries or something like that and she mm -hmm. said hello is this crispin and i said yeah and she said okay i'm putting you on with commander hadfield just one moment <laughs> i'm like oh my god <laughs> this is uh this is official <laughs> so then um we chatted and everything and he asked me what i play and uh the type of style that i play and how many years i've been playing and wow. all that type of stuff and then he said well it looks like uh it looks like uh, we can we can make this work. So, um, do you mind coming in for um, practice? And I said, sure. Where do you want me to meet you? And he said, ah, come to my house. I said, I'm going to Chris Hatfield's house. Wow. <laughs> so then, yeah, he um, he invited me, and it was a really nice house. You would not never like from the outside. You would never imagine that Commander Chris Hatfield lives yeah. at this house. Um, and I'd have, I'd expect to see like moon rock and crap everywhere, but <laughs> uh, it wasn't. There's none a, of that stuff. Eh? He's His a pretty space suit guy. is not there. No, I was expecting it, that, like yeah. a helmet or something. Uh, yeah, nothing. <laughs> um, just a regular house. I met his dogs. They're cute. Okay. Um, and then we, uh, yeah, we sat in his kitchen and we played guitar for a couple hours and just, Jeez. Yeah, oh my god, <laughs> chatted and and everything. And um, he said, okay, what, what do you know about this song? And we like would start to play that together. And he's like, what about this song? And we play it together and everything. And he, and then we narrowed it down to the songs that we were going to be playing at the event. And um, and then we just like after we had done that, we just chatted and we sat and we just chatted and played and we tried out each other's guitars and stuff like that. And um, uh, I think the best thing that he ever did um, while I was at his house mm -hmm. playing is um, that he was about to sneeze. And um, as he was about to sneeze, I said, I got to ask you about that in one second. And he said that he, he proceeded to sneeze. And then right after he finished sneezing, he said, no, it doesn't propel you back in space. And he knew exactly <laughs> what I was going to ask him. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's like totally thinking <laughs> the way that I think. <laughs> so he's a really, really cool down to earth guy. A little he's humble yeah. and everything, but he knows exactly what he wants. And um, a lot of I've heard some people say that they thought his uh, style of speaking at those uh, those engagements were, was kind of like abrasive. But you know what? When you're when you're dealing with commanding the space station i think you have to have you, that you better have something there yeah. yeah yeah you can't just be like it's a life and death it ain't wishy -washy. no yeah exactly um so he's he was always i don't know if you've read his book um i've read his book yep. yeah yeah yep. so the like uh, you said life and death i mean like that's one thing that he mm -hmm. thinks about on a regular basis is what's going to kill me next and that's yeah. what he's always thinking about so um when i met him I, yeah. he's maybe an inch taller he wasn't like a massive guy no but his hand, when I shook his hand, 
it was like this is the strongest man I've ever met. <laughs> it was like a grip. Yep. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. it was like a, just outstanding. Yeah, um, that's very a, fit. Oh, very you, fit yeah, you, like, and you have to be right. Yeah, and yeah. you have to be. I remember reading his his book and him talking about he wasn't he wasn't able to walk for how long after he landed. Oh yeah, yeah, just because of like atrophy and yeah, um, yeah, and stuff. Because you have to, I guess, you have to like go to the other extreme before you go to space. Like get really, really fit and then go to space and just. Um, just become lethargic and everything just without gravity, and then you get back yeah, to Yeah, it's to really, Earth. really weird. Yeah. So I've got a bunch of questions. Okay. Um, and I'll, so the first one is from my sister. Okay. <laughs> and she, she's actually the general manager for YMC Toronto's volunteer engagement. Holy smokes. And used, she wanted I used to, to work at the YMCA. Well, that's what she wanted. She wanted me to ask you that. Yeah. Um, what did you learn working at the YMCA? Like, what did you do at the YMCA? And, and you know, what did you learn from working there? So I used to work at the Scarborough YMCA as a lifeguard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I taught swimming lessons. I uh, I was uh, obviously a lifeguard. And I also taught Aquafit. So okay. um, it showed me how much I really enjoy teaching. Um it uh, obviously gave me some life skills like uh, CPR training and learning how to use a defibrillator and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But um, I think it was the people skills that I actually had to develop while I was working there. Um, you don't find a lot of people with really good people skills um, unless they're working in a face-to-face -face type industry nowadays. So I think that's one of the things that helped me develop um, my um, interpersonal relationships with people and how I can just um, try to be approachable um, all the time. Yeah, and um, I mean, and, and it was uh, it was great having to learn how to deal with all different walks of life. Um, just because it was the Scarborough YMCA, we had sure. a lot of immigrants that came in, um, wanting their kids to learn how to swim and all that stuff. And I've I've taught lots of kids who don't speak English, um, mm -hmm. uh, other kids with other um, uh, disabilities and whatnot. So I learned how to how to um, accommodate. For almost anything that you can pretty much think of, and then on the other spectrum, I was teaching Aquafit, so uh, learned what the uh, how to deal with um, people who are trying to be fit but still have arthritis, for example. Okay. Um, and 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 stuff like that. So I, I think it it really taught me how to be a well-rounded person in dealing with people. You majored in math and physics. Yeah. Um, Olympic athlete. Um, you're teaching swimming, you're playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, like, do you have more than 20? Like, where, where do you find the time <laughs> to do all this? How do you manage your time? Tell me some of that. Um, well, it is time management, um, galore, uh, especially when I was in high school. Um, when I was in high school, I was, I was working at the YMCA. I was still trying to train, mm -hmm. um, to be a better archer. I was doing school, um, and, uh, not having much of a social life, but I mean, that was a decision that I made that I wasn't going to be, um, somebody who went out and partied and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, and did that with their time. Um, some people make that choice and I mean like that's their choice. I'm, I'm not going to refute sure. that or whatnot. Um, but, uh, when I was going through high school, it, I, I did something just called compartmentalizing my life. So when I went home, I didn't want to bring schoolwork home with me. Um, a, because I didn't want to worry about it. Mm -hmm. When I was at home, I wanted to be able to go home and just worry about uh, training or doing whatever I needed to do that night. And B, um, if I had math and science homework, I didn't want to bring those books home with me. So those are massive books. They're, yeah, they're they're pretty big, and I didn't want to put that on my back while I was walking home. So yeah. um, I tried to do as much work as I could for homework at school 
while I was at school. So that meant sometimes at lunchtime I wasn't um, socializing with lots of friends. I would just sit down and um, complete whatever homework I got in the morning over lunchtime. And then after school, if I was going to be sticking around after school um, doing whatever after school, some, some extracurricular activities while I was waiting for the teacher to get there or um, if I wasn't doing something at that moment, I'd be trying to get that work out of the way so that I was free to do mm -hmm. after school stuff after school and not school stuff after school. Wow. Um, Heidi has a question. Mm -hmm. um, she wants to know, how do you keep focus in the moment? And so that's part one of the question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'll ask part two afterwards. But how do you keep focus? And, and uh, my brother and also asked a similar question about you know, that moment before you release the arrow, mm -hmm. you know, so as you're pulling back and the yeah. focus, mm -hmm. um, you know, tell me about everything. You know, there's crowds, maybe <laughs> there's uh, breathing, yeah. there's maybe you're nervous or not. Like, how do you how, where does that focus come from? What What are you uh, aware of? What are you not aware of? Um, so a lot of that comes into a uh, subconscious mindset of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people would uh, think about you know, the crowd this and the crowd that and maybe somebody sneezed um, or coughed or something like that or whatnot. Um, and I actually had that experience in the 2007 um, Olympic test event in Beijing. Tell me about that. So I, sh I was shooting against a guy from Chinese Taipei, so still China and everything, but yeah. they filled the stadium with other um, Chinese spectators from okay. Beijing and um, they didn't know about, um, you know, just like respectful rules and whatnot while you're shooting. And there are no rules for us for people to uh, try to distract you while you're at full draw. Like, if somebody throws something at you, then that's a little different story. And, sure. I mean, I'm holding a bow, an arrow, so they better not throw They're something They're not going to throw something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember um, 2007, so I was, I was 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And by far, like, the most nerve-wracking competition of my life because it was the Olympic test event at the Olympic Stadium that we were going to be shooting in for the next year. And this is like qualifying, and disqualifies you for the Olympics? No, it or? doesn't even qualify us. Okay. It was just like they're running each of the Olympic events as a test event oh, just to make okay. sure that everything runs Every smoothly and okay, they okay. figure out what's, what they need to work on. And I remember um, getting to full draw and I started hearing guys in the background starting to like yell and clap their hands and cough and like like do all this type of stuff and I was like at full draw just thinking oh my god they're like trying to distract me and like wait hold like on like on purpose it sounds yeah. like it eh? yeah no it was totally on purpose yeah and and then I remember like oh crap I I probably shoot this arrow right now because <laughs> I'm like sitting there at full draw thinking yeah. about it um so after that experience we started more um distraction training and and stuff like that so um you you first look at uh for the focusing you mm -hmm. first look at consciously thinking about tuning it out and then after you've consciously worked on that and you can can do it on command and whatnot, it starts to become a subconscious thing. Um, it's just teach, it's like anything, teaching yourself a new skill. It's like driving a car. When you're 16 and you're out there, you're almost white-knuckled on the steering wheel because you're mm -hmm. afraid of what's going to happen and you're conscious about everything. But then after a while, suddenly everything starts to become a little bit more automatic and a little bit more subconscious. So that's, that's how you train that type of focus. Um, Is it from, similar to... Um it was that Kevin Costner movie um, for Love of the Game. I don't know if you remember that baseball movie. He's a pitcher. No, it's Bull Durham. So this is a different one. Oh, this, okay. This, yeah, so for Love of the Game. So he's pitching, and this is his last game that he ever pitches uh -huh. in his career. And he says, and he, the crowd is roaring. Yeah. And he says, clear the mechanisms. And, and so in the movie, you see, like, everything go white. Mm -hmm. And it's just him and the catcher. 
Um, and, and I'm curious, do you focus on things like words? Yeah, yeah. there's keywords that you say to okay. yourself. Um, every every um, high-level athlete has those keywords or the key feelings that they say to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, it can be technical, it can be non-technical. And okay. what I mean by that is like technical for an archer would be like relaxed hands or bow arm up or, or movement through the clicker or something like that. But, um, or you can tell yourself something non-technical like um, a breathing technique or a countdown of some sort. Um, something that just gets your mind focused on something because mm -hmm. um, just like the movie said, like he was trying to block everything out. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people think about uh, think that they're trying to think about nothing, but it's actually really hard for your mind to think about nothing. Exactly. You have, you have to give it um, something to think about yeah. and focus on that one that one uh, goal mm -hmm. or, or one little uh, like route that your mind's going to take to that to that uh, thing that you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of people where they say, like, you know, just clear your mind and everything. Well, clearing your mind is a little bit harder to do than, like, clearing your mind and thinking about one thing mm -hmm. um, that can bring your focus a mm -hmm. little bit more narrow and down to that uh, specific thing. So when you when you have that, like, what are, you, what are you doing with your body? What are you, what are you aiming at? Uh, well, so for me, when, uh, for example, when I was at the Olympics in Rio, um, a lot of it came down to breathing. And when I started focusing on my breathing, everything started to relax. My shoulders started to drop a little bit because whenever somebody gets tense or when any anybody gets tense, the shoulders come up. Mm -hmm. And that's when a lot of people feel the neck pain. And that's why like shoulder rubs from a coworker or whatever, whoever feels really good is because they've stressed out their upper shoulders. Mm. Um, so um, the, the shoulders start to drop and your whole body just starts to feel a little bit more relaxed. And that's what I was focusing on while I was in Rio was just that breathing pattern that I had um, practiced a lot before I came into the games and I knew how much um, stress and how much pressure could be um, could be felt by me at that moment so we put myself under that in practice like shooting for money or shooting for <laughs> push-ups or whatnot right yeah and, yeah um, yeah and so again once you practiced it and you've learned it it just becomes something that you can do and call on on command um, to make yourself focus and get back into the game is there a rhythm that you have as well? Um, yeah, when I was shooting, there was a rhythm. So yeah. when I'm uh, when I loaded the arrow, there was a certain breathing pattern. When I picked up my bow and put my fingers on the string, there was a certain breathing pattern. When I've raised it up and drew the drew the arrow back, there was another breathing pattern. So um, all of those motions um, could almost be like a conscious motion. Like okay, yeah. pick the bow up now, put your string up, the fingers on the string now raise it up now pull the arrow back like you could have been telling your, or I could have been telling myself all of those things but mm -hmm. those became automatic yeah and then what I was thinking about now then was focusing on on the breathing that uh, was able to keep me um, more narrow-minded and focused on what I was supposed to be doing and not worrying about um, the fact that I was getting rained on at the time during oh, wow. my matches uh, so there was rain there was a little bit of wind. There was crowd that was cheering for um, the other guy. Sure. Um, and I mean, my first match was against the 2004 Olympic champion. So, <laughs> and he was from Italy. So yeah. a lot of the Italians were out there really cheering this guy on yeah. because um, I mean, they want him to win another Olympics because sure. it's it's rare for somebody to win two Olympics. Oh wow. Um, albeit two Olympics in a row, but. Um, yeah, it's rare for that to happen. So whenever an Olympic champion comes out onto the field, there's a lot of people cheering for them because they mm -hmm. want to see this feat yeah. um, be done. So um, again, that just blocked everything out. And um, and even when after I've shot the arrow, there's another breathing pattern that comes after that. And I was actually so focused on 
the process that I was doing, I actually didn't hear a lot of the announcements that were going on because as soon as my arrow lands, there's um, an announcer who announces the value of the arrow mm -hmm. as it hits the target. But after the shot is done, I'm immediately starting to evaluate, okay, good shot, bad shot, what can I do better, blah, blah, blah. And after that evaluation, I'm already pulling an arrow, the other guy's already shooting and I've already missed what they've said on the loudspeaker, but mm -hmm. it's not necessarily something I want to hear. I don't want to hear all my results all the time. I want to be just in my zone doing my thing and mm -hmm. uh, performing in the way that I want to perform and not worrying about what the score is because mm -hmm. the score comes um, as a result of me doing all my stuff properly. How do you, I'm, I'm curious about the preparation mm -hmm. of, of an archer. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, like, it it seems to me, you know, from a standpoint of someone who's ignorant about the sport, yeah. that you know you're you're not, you know, doing two a days or you know like is 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 there a diet plan? Is there like how does one train to be in shape? How does one train mm -hmm. to be good at your craft? I'm very curious about that. Um, so archery is um, well, we say it's ninety percent mental and ten percent physical. Okay. Believe it or not, um, so. Um, doing the physical thing and doing the right diet stuff is actually the easy part because we know what like obviously eating properly will help you a lot sure um and like i, I had a nutritionist as well um who was telling me like okay what you're eating here is good this is probably not so good probably mm -hmm. try to stay away from this all that type of stuff that's easy to do going to the gym that's easy to do as well because mm -hmm. i can go in and as long as you go in with a plan it's really easy because mm -hmm. um uh, if you just walk into a gym with no plan, it's it's it can be overwhelming sometimes because sure. you're like, okay, maybe I want to do this exercise. Oh, maybe I want to do that. But that machine is free, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so going in with a plan of um, actually working out for archery is um, is a plan that works out your whole body. Um, okay. A lot of people would think it's just arms and shoulders, and mm -hmm. it's, it's actually not that simple. Um, it's a lot of back. It's a lot of abdominal muscles it's core because you're standing upright all okay. the time there's a lot of leg muscles that have to be incorporated into it because that's what attaches you to the ground um wow. believe it or not uh there's a lot of twisting motion so mm -hmm. um i think people call them the russian twists where you sit on your bum uh and you have a, a weighted ball and you're yeah. like twisting from one side to side and, and everything so um that actually has a big role to play in archery even though we don't you don't see us twisting mm -hmm. but the reason why you don't see us twisting is because we're strong in the twisting motion Interesting. Uh, region um and cardio is a really big part of archery um hmm. Just because uh, if you're standing there on the shooting line and you're shooting at a target that's 70 meters away um, and the tar or your, your ten ring or your bullseye is about the size of a grapefruit and you know that if you hit that grapefruit, um, you could potentially win, I don't know, $30,000 yeah. with that one arrow. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot of people out there that whose heart rate would just stay normal at like yeah. 70 beats per minute. There's a lot of heart rate that goes up and down and up and down so um, your heart's a muscle too and if you um, exercise that muscle it becomes a lot easier for you to dictate what your heart rate is doing huh so um, a lot of cardio comes into play for yeah. archery as well even though we just stand around you just stand around yeah <laughs> um how do you get better at like the technically of, of like hitting that bullseye can mm -hmm. you get can you get any better <laughs> always that. really always so yeah tell me about that because in uh, in one single end of shooting okay. um in a qualification round you have six arrows to shoot mm -hmm. um and um 
you want to be able to put all six arrows into the bullseye mm-hmm. and uh, or into the ten ring, I should say. And uh, our qualification round is 72 arrows shot at a distance of 70 meters away. So you shoot six arrows, you walk up, you score them, you come back, six arrows, walk up, score it, repeat 12 times, and you got 72 arrows. And a score of 720 has never been shot by a, an Olympic archer. Okay. The highest score is 700. So they missed that 10 ring 20 times. Huh. And I say miss lightly because, the, again, They're it's probably the grapefruit, close. right? Yeah, yeah, it's probably really, really close. So out of 72 arrows, 20 arrows were nines. And that means that you've still got 20 arrows that you can improve on. And that's the best score in the world. Wow. Um, my, my best score is still, uh, it's a 695. Mm. So I've missed the 10 ring 25 times out of 72. And so that means I've got 25 shots that I can still make better. Um, and, again, until somebody shoots that 720, um, there's always room for improvement. So there's never been a perfect score. No. That's never. very, very for, interesting. For a qualification round. Yeah. There's also elimination rounds where um, now it's down to three arrows per um, end, but now we call them sets. Okay. And you shoot against a, com- a competitor or an opponent, and um, out of three arrows, whoever has the higher score, so it's out of 30, so let's say I shoot a 30 and my opponent shoots a 29, um, I win the set because I've scored higher, and I also win two set points. Um, so it doesn't matter if I shot a 30 and he shot a 29 or if he shot a 22. I still only win two set points. Mm. And if we both tied at, uh, let's say, 30 points apiece, it's one set point uh, mm. per archer. Okay. And it's whoever reaches six set points first will win the match. Interesting. So it's almost like tennis because um, okay. somebody can be behind and then just come back yeah. and win it because it's only done in three arrow sets. It's not a cumulative score oh, interesting. Um, basis, which it used to be. Yeah. And it actually made it really boring to watch because somebody could throw an arrow in like their second shot. Mm-hmm. And let's say it lands in the six ring. That's pretty much game over for the whole match if you're doing cumulative score. Okay. So... Now that it's only for every three arrows, it's a different mindset because mm. uh, you could, um, we call it like sacrifice the set and uh, you know you're going to lose the set. So mm-hmm. just uh, do your last shot, focus on what's coming up next, and then you're good to go. Yeah. Um, so that's what that's the format that we shoot at the Olympics now. Oh, and, interesting. Um, again, uh, that one isn't a, a score basis. It's only used on set points. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think there's anybody who's won a high level competition winning all of their all of their matches 6-0. Hmm. That's very like winning 6-0 especially when you get to a quarterfinals and and onward mm-hmm. um, is really rare because now the people are starting to be a little bit more um, equal in skill level. Yeah. So uh, 6-0 is very rare to do when you're um, shooting in like a gold medal match for example. So I wanted to ask that like what like the best archer in the world like you've reached uh, as high as 5 yeah, I've been told. Yeah, um, like what get do, do people stay in the top five, or do the people stay like the best archer like for the over five years? Or uh, it fluctuates. It depends on who you, who you are. Okay, um, and uh, the world rankings are just based on um, a, a point system based on placings of world ranking events. Okay. So it could be like World Cups and stuff like that. So if you place in the top ten at the World Cup or whatnot, depending on your placing, will give you. Uh, X number of world ranking points. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can fluctuate greatly because some people, like let's say um, you have a World Cup that's in Colombia, and let's say that everybody from the Asian part of the world actually has like a, another, like Asian Games or something like that. Sure. So they have to stay back for their Asian Games and they don't compete at the World Cup in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, the world ranking 
points system for each of those two events is going to be very different because of how many world ranked people above i think it's 50th place Mm -hmm. um are at the event so if you have x number of people who are ranked over 50 Mm -hmm. in the world um i mean one to 50 not like 50 plus okay um so any archers ranked one through 50 uh raises or lowers the quality of the event oh interesting so if you have more of those archers who are ranked between one and 50 at your event Mm -hmm. your event ranking goes up like the quality of the event goes up because that means that there are that many more quality shooters at the event interesting if you reduce that number then the number of world ranking points you can get for that event has just gone down because the quality of the event has gone down Hmm. yeah are there archery powerhouses korea really yeah so what makes (laughs) what makes korea so good at um they uh, well they they start archery in their children really really okay um, early yeah um it's it's something where they they have a lot of people to pull from like they they have a a large pool of archers that they can pull from and um just their their level of archery and the way that they train and everything is Mm -hmm. really conducive to high level sport um if you're um an archer in korea you're basically um it was almost like a hockey player in canada okay um a dime a dozen (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. pretty much but i mean like it's it's like um they get taken care of like if you want equipment sure we'll get it to you right away mm-hmm. um if you want to have this meal every meal for the week they yeah. will make sure that you get it um whenever team korea travels to for example south america again mm-hmm. sometimes the food that you get in south america isn't doesn't do the best to your digestive system so mm-hmm. they actually bring a cook with them they bring a chef wow and that chef goes around like their job while the archers are competing is to go around that day and figure out where all the good food is that they can gather and buy from the grocery store and then they make it for the like their archers the right there wow. um so that they get a taste of home like it's they make it as a korean dish they don't hmm. make a colombian dish or whatever mexican dish or whatever sure yeah so that they are always comfortable wherever they are in the world and then they're the money that they can pull in from the results that they have is tremendous as well and uh, i've also heard that if you're on the korean olympic team and you win a medal um you don't have to go to the army as a man um mm. so a, a lot of their men have that as a goal that they don't want to go to serve their two years in yeah. the army because that's mandatory yeah um but you get a medal and you don't have to go to the army and then you're actually pretty much set for life you've you've really? got uh, i don't know how many millions of dollars after getting uh, an olympic medal basically wow. you don't have to work another day in your life um <clears throat> and a lot of companies out there in korea hire people um not based on what they can do for the company but how they represent the company um in the athletic world interesting so a lot of korean archers um <clears throat> work for hyundai hmm. but they don't actually do anything for hyundai so like spokespeople or no they're, they're hired by hyundai they make a salary and everything but yeah. their job is to shoot their job is to practice and get better at archery so that when they go out to the korean shoots they yeah. wear the hyundai patch on their shirt ah. somewhere and um interesting they pay their way and everything if you win a medal then you get x amount of money and everything and then when you come back out after the event they give you all this other money to train still and and live a good life what would you what needs to be done in canada if anything does need to be done Mm -hmm. to to support athletes whether they are a basketball player hockey player Mm -hmm. uh figure skater well track athlete and then all the way down to um, and no offense, like like yeah. you know, someone who's an archer. Yeah, no. Well, archery is um, it's just getting to the high level, um, high performance level in Canada, mm-hmm. um, like now. Um, 
and that's just because of how our 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 archers are performing um, internationally, and um, <clears throat> a lot of other sports have already done what they needed to do to make themselves a high level um, performing sport, such as um, speed skating, for example. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If you go out to um, Alberta, yeah, that's where a lot of the winter sports people live, and that's called centralization. So if you can um, all live in one spot, yeah. train with the best people in your sport all the time, mm -hmm. and just live in that environment of athletics, <clears throat> then it's going to be more conducive to a better result from you. You're going to be a better athlete. You're going to be better prepared. You're going to be just overall much Interesting. more prepared. Um, so archery is starting to do that um, now. And we're starting to do centralization. Um, it's harder for archers uh, right now because we're kind of stepping into it. It's harder for us to just drop everything and just centralize to one location in Canada because a lot of archers who are good right now still have other lives outside of archery. But uh, we're starting to create this culture of centralization where um, the archers um, can um, train together mm -hmm. at dedicated training times okay. with um, a dedicated goal in mind. Uh, whether it be scoring or working on distraction training or working on match play tactics or, or, or that type of thing, or even team rounds. But if you get five of the best guys in Canada training together all the time, um, then it just promotes uh, a better environment for us to be better. When you first made Team Canada, mm -hmm. tell me about that moment. Tell, was there a competition? Was there like a phone call? Um, well, then... kind of. Uh, it, there was a competition, but it was like kind of like a qualification to get onto Team Canada. Okay. Um, I've been on the national team now for, um, geez, 15 years ago. I was my first junior um, world championships. Um, so that means that 13 years ago was my first senior world championships. So I've been on the national team for that long. Wow. Uh, better part of a decade and a half. And, <laughs> um, I mean... Uh, Back then, when I was that, when I was a young junior competing, um, we had to go to co certain competitions and achieve certain scores. And you knew by the end of that competition whether you made the cut or not. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a, a phone call that sure. came out to me or whatnot. But um, it was something that I, like, like I said, like before, I wanted to go to the Olympics, mm -hmm. and it was just that one of those steps that I needed to do to become an Olympian, so for me, it was like kind of like everything is playing out the way it should, mm -hmm. and um, it felt good, but I knew that I still had a lot of work to do, like, even though I was on this national team and everything, I, I still, like, told myself, like, that doesn't mean anything. That's like, not the goal. Yeah, exactly, like, I can be on a team all I want, but if I don't, like, get out and win my first match, then yeah. what's the point? Um, so when you qualified for the Olympics, what what event was that at? Um, that was actually an Olympic qualifi qualifier in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually run um, in Toronto, out by uh, so actually that's out before, by the that's before Beijing, right? In, in yeah, right right before Beijing. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, you only learn if you're going to the Olympics uh, in archery, at least um, like a couple months in advance. Oh wow! Um, because we want to take the best people at the time, um, who are like the best mm -hmm. and ready to go. Um, and so I learned about that, uh, my Olympic dream coming true actually early on into the competition because, uh, we had our competition format was three days long and we had a, um, qualification round day where we would accumulate score, uh, points based on score. And then our second day was round robin match play 
where we faced everybody else who was in our category um, in um, match play. And then our third day was another day of match play. But I um, found out um, the morning of the third day, because I had amassed so many points from day one and day two, that all I needed to do on the third day was win one match. Mm -hmm. And then I was solidified on the team and nobody else would be able to touch me. Yeah. Um, so I won the first match and I actually didn't know it because I wasn't doing the calculations and stuff like that. And I finished off my first match, went up, scored the arrows, came back to the shooting line. And uh, one of my friends named Brian at the time came up to me and he just had this huge smile on my face and he put his hand out. He's like, congratulations. And I'm like, thanks. There was just one match. He's like, no, 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 no. You're going to the Olympics. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was a, uh, a big lesson for me there on um, how to bring myself back down from being super excited because I still had more matches to shoot for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to just throw all the rest of my matches away just because I was guaranteed on the team. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the way I work. Um, but it was a very exciting thing to, to find out and to learn in the midst of the middle of the competition. It wasn't even at the end that yeah. I made my first Olympic team. And then my second Olympic team, um, basically the same scenario. Uh, I had a plan to go out and I only wanted, I think my plan back then was to only have to shoot the first two days. And if I could only shoot the first two days yeah. and uh, be guaranteed going into the third day, I was going to be a very happy camper. And I think... It was the same deal. I had to only win one or two matches going into the third or in the third day to guarantee myself a spot onto the Canadian Olympic team, and uh, I did that. So it was that's a good, amazing. It was a good weekend. <laughs> and then in uh, in Brazil, uh, for Rio, we took a different approach. Okay, um, just because they wanted to, we had we got a new high performance director, mm -hmm. and he wanted to make it more like um, field hockey, because that's the sport that he came from. And so what we were starting to do was not just have this three-day um, trials format, yeah. but we were actually being observed for almost a year. So we were required to go to these training camps and then go to these competitions and do all this stuff. And they were looking at, like, how are we doing when we were practicing? How are we doing when they start when we started to hold, like, scrimmages or scoring? Mm -hmm. um, how are we interacting with all of the rest of the teammates? How are we interacting with the coaches? What are we eating? How much do we work out? Like all of the habits that would create um, somebody who is a good athlete. Um, they were looking at all of that stuff. And mm. um, then we would have these quick little debriefs after each competition for them to say, okay, this is what we saw. Uh, this is what we like. This is what you need to work on. We'll see you in the next one type yeah. thing. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't, all that different from how I was already living my life as an athlete. Yeah. Um, and from for some other people, it was a little bit of an eye-opener because now they had to watch what they were doing mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But um, just because I'd already been living that sort of lifestyle and this was going to be my third Olympics, it wasn't that hard for me to to do because it wasn't it wasn't all that different. Nice. Yeah. So. You looking forward to the next Olympics? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, my next challenge for myself is um, making the 2020 Olympic team while still working yeah um and it is it is going to be challenging um just because of how high performance sport works but um that's my goal and um i mean four olympics will probably be probably it for yeah. my competitive career and we'll see if i can get into coaching after um my fourth olympics nice and uh and i like to give back to the archery community in that in that way 
listen, congratulations on everything. Thank you. The, that you've accomplished. <laughs> I know I'd, I'd love to keep you here longer and talk some more, but I know you got a meeting uh, to get to, and we've had well, a. You said there was a second question, right, from your sister? Did I? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, okay, so let's get back. Man, yeah. I, you remember these. She's going to get angry. <laughs> She's going to say, look, Crispin, uh, Crispin remembered. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't from my sister. Because uh, there was one question about focus, and then you said you were going to ask a second question after that. But uh, Okay, so let me ask you this. Yeah, that's right. This is from Heidi. Okay. So Heidi wanted to know, like, so you, you know we were talking about the focus and the concentration in yeah. archery. D- is there things that you've applied that to um, outside of archery? That has helped you succeed in that endeavor. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like uh, when I was going through university at uh, U of T, mm-hmm. um, not only was I still doing the whole compartmentalizing of my life, um, okay. I uh, learned about um, making a plan and following through with that plan. Um, and as simple as that sounds, it's a lot harder for a lot of people to do um, once you actually put that into practice. So, um, for example. <clears throat> Um, I remember some days going to um, going to school at uh, U of T and saying, by the end of today, I need to have five pages of this essay written out with all of my references and blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember walking into class, um, one of my physics classes that day, carrying a gym bag. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends said, oh, looks like you're going to the gym afterwards. And I said, no, these are books. These are references for my, for my essay that I got to do. Wow. And so um, my my thing that I was doing back then was after all my classes were done for the day, mm-hmm. um, I would um, let my mind relax, which is what you do in sport. Like you you're you've got times where you're on and you're you're like focused and everything, but then you also have to have off time and then back on to focus time and then off time. So after classes were done, I would let my mind relax. I'd go grab dinner or whatnot, but I'd stay downtown. And then after I was done dinner, I'd go to the library and I'd sit myself down and I'd say, okay, this is it. I got to get this done and I'm not leaving until this is finished. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you got all the distractions of like Facebook, Twitter, um, YouTube, all this stuff that uh, could potentially distract me. And yeah. I mean, like it wasn't easy. I, I'll admit it. Sure. There was distractions and stuff, but um, it made me really think about how I was focusing and in what sense that I was applying this focus and mm-hmm. I think that's what I learned from sport and applied to um, my educational career and I think it also applies to anything that you do in real life if you've got something that you want to do make a plan and get it done um, and it's uh, that's the biggest thing that I learned awesome yeah <laughs> thank you so much Crispin thank you for coming in thanks a lot yep